see you guys. It's an honor to be worshiping with you guys this this Lord's Day um, as we get closer to Christmas and celebrate the, the coming of our Savior and look for His return. If you would, you, you can turn now to Matthew chapter 2. That'll be our, our passage this morning. We'll jump into Matthew 2 in a few minutes. One of my favorite seminary professors of all time had this extremely weird tradition, Christmas tradition. Whenever he would find a nativity scene, he would, without asking, secretly do a little rearranging. Right? Pretty strange, right? This is what New Testament scholars do for fun. And once his, his mission was accomplished, you couldn't find your magi. Your wise men were gone. The, the, the camels and the magi, the gifts, they weren't anywhere to be found. And so you would look through your classroom or your house to find where these wise men were. Almost like a theologian Grinch, right? Stealing Christmas to make his theological point. Now, he is right. It, it, it's clear in scripture that the wise men, they weren't with the shepherds. They weren't with Mary and Joseph when Jesus was born. Rather, they, they saw the star in the sky, which took them on a journey. So they traveled west to Jerusalem to find this king. When they met Jesus, he was a child, maybe two years old, not a newborn baby anymore. Well, my, my old professor left this mark on me. So as we set up our nativity scene this year, I followed suit. Our, our, our wise men are on the opposite side of the room, a little bit hidden, up high. And, but, I, but I even wanted to go a step further. So after a little persuasion, I talked Holly into adding King Herod into our nativity scene. <laughs> You wouldn't believe how hard it was to find a Herod on Amazon, right? But, but as I was thinking through the Christmas story this year, I came to the conclusion that, that as important as the wise men, and we love the wise men, right? As important as the wise men are to Christmas, we can't take Herod out of Christmas either. Now, this is our second Sunday in our Advent series, and we're working through some of the Christmas characters Last week, we looked at Mary and Joseph. This week, we'll be looking at King Herod and the wise men. And I believe that they will teach us something rather important about worship and allegiance. Though we want nothing to do with Herod on Christmas, I think we'd actually be surprised to find out how much we are like Herod. This can be easily missed for, for some of us who, who swim in the waters of, of cultural Christianity. Holly and I and the girls attended the Castle Rock Starlighting a few weeks back. Anyone else there? Nobody? Has anyone else ever been? Okay, it's a pretty cool event. I was so surprised. So many people. It did not feel like the, the quaint town of, 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 of Castle Rock. It felt like Times Square. On New Year's Eve, right? This place was just rocking. People everywhere. And in the evening, 
it ended miserably for us. Um, after they lit the star, we watched the fireworks, the, the, the rain turned into snow, the wind picked up, and we took our, our double stroller and we ran about, I don't know, 15 minutes all uphill, kids screaming. It was pretty crazy. <laughs> but the event, as I've reflected on it, was so interesting. Right, the, the, the city of Castle Rock celebrating Christmas together, right? singing worship songs like Silent Night, and town prayers, scripture readings, right? God and country at its finest. It can be easy in an environment like this to just assume Christmas, to, to, to enjoy all the Christmas festivities, but easily become apathetic to Christmas, so some of us who, who love the season can have high hopes for Christmas, like myself, always. And then we can easily overspend, overeat, and overexpect, and even be left disappointed on Christmas. For others, we just want this season to end. Right? Christmas is, is hard. It, it reminds us of what we don't have, of who we've lost, who we miss. But rarely do any of us double down on our allegiance to Christ come Christmas. King Herod and, and the wise men is the tale of two worshipers. And I believe Matthew 2 has something special for us this morning as we inch closer to Christmas. Matthew 2 is the story of Christmas in, in the events of King Herod and the wise men. But it's also the story of allegiance. Like I said, it's the tale of two worshipers. And as the story unfolds, I believe that we will see Christmas is all about the coming of this king. But this king, he demands our full allegiance, our true worship. So as Christmas is right around the corner, what do you want most this Christmas? What do you want most? If you're not already there, open your Bibles to Matthew 2. Matthew chapter 2. Two characters this morning, Herod and the wise men, which will show us two forms of worship. Let's start with Herod. So look at verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, let's stop there for a couple minutes. In the days of Herod the king, who is King Herod? Herod, Herod is an interesting cat, to say the least. Right? A, a, a little Herod history here. I promise I won't be too long for those of us who, who really don't like history. Um, but Herod took office in about 40 BC as the governor of Judea. But remember, Rome was in control. So, so he ruled Israel under the authority of Rome. Now, ethnically, he was Arab from Idumea. Religiously, Herod was a Jew. The Jewish victory over his ancestors forced them to either become Jews or die. And so, so Herod's grandpa eventually became governor. Culturally, Herod was Greek. This was his first language. This was his love. But politically, 
Herod was Roman. When, when push came to shove, he always sided with Rome. Many zealous Jews, groups like the Pharisees and the Essenes, they wanted nothing to do with Herod. They hated Herod. So as you can see, Herod was a complicated character, a complex man. They called him Herod the Great because of all his building projects, like the rebuilding of Solomon's temple. That was Herod. Or, or uh, you know, some of, the, some of his construction in, included some pretty impressive aqueducts. Uh, his, his famine relief program was second to none. And Herod was also a man consumed with power. Right? He, he came into power after killing those in rule over him. And he, he, he was always having prominent leaders of the Sanhedrin, this is the prominent religious assembly, executed if he felt threatened at all. He even murdered many members of his own family. A couple notable ones, his two favorite sons, he killed more than that, but his two favorite sons, he thought maybe, maybe they're a threat to my throne, had them executed. He had 10 wives, but his favorite by far was Miriam. Right? And he had her slaughtered when he became suspicious of her political allegiance. Right? This guy was nuts. After he had his wife killed, he would walk through the halls of his palace calling her name, Miriam. Miriam. And then he would get his servants to go find her. And when they couldn't, he would have them beaten. So this first Christmas, this is our context, right? Herod is king in Israel. Herod was a paranoid man. He wanted more than anything total control. Let's keep reading the passage. Seeking Herod in action. Middle of verse 1. Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now try to picture this. We'll, we'll laser in on the wise men here in a second. Um, but this group of people, probably just three, probably not just three of them. Early church history says maybe 14 of them. We, we don't know. What we do know, it was a big caravan, enough to get the king's attention. Holly, maybe next year we'll add 10 more wise men to our, our nativity scene. But, but here, here we have a, a large group of prominent men from another nation seeking to worship the king of the Jews. Imagine Herod's face as he heard this news. His blood starting to boil. I'm the king in Israel. What, what, are, what in the world are these guys talking about? Let's keep reading. Verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Of course, Herod didn't know, right? He checked off the box of, 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 of a cultural Jew, um, but that didn't mean anything, right? Cultural religion at its finest. Look at verse 5. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. 
So the theologians quote Micah, and Herod goes into panic mode. A, A ruler who will shepherd my people has come. The king of the Jews, Israel's long anticipated Messiah, is here. This means Herod's throne is under attack. This guy who who, who killed his beloved wife and his favorite sons because he thought that his power and control may be threatened just got a code red. Herod didn't start singing joy to the world. No, Herod starts to do what Herod does best. The assassins start scheming. Time for war. Look at verse 7. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found them, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Oh, that's nice. Herod wants to worship. Celebrate Christmas. Maybe light a star. If, if it wasn't for the dream that these wise men have in verse 12, maybe they go back to Herod. Tell him about Jesus. Now what Christmas is all about? Go tell it on the mountains. I'll tell you what, if, if they did that, we wouldn't be celebrating Christmas in 2021. Because Herod was a worshiper too. A zealous one. Just not to this newborn king. Look at verse 16. Verse 16, after Herod realizes the, the Magi aren't coming back with Christmas cookies. Verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem. He sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Worship. Israel is only big enough for one king. So, so Herod does what he thinks he has to do. He kills all the little boys from age two and under in Bethlehem. And so King Herod, he thinks that his throne is intact as he slaughters these little image bearers. Now, now Pastor Mark calls me the intense preacher. And, 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 I, could be atten- and I know I'm intense. This is something I'm working at. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm chilling out a little bit. I'm trying to chill out a little bit as a preacher. But this scene right here, this story... This is so intense. And this is our part of our Christmas story. Could you imagine being a parent of a little boy in Bethlehem? Like he was just starting to walk. Or, or he just said Abba for the first time, his first word. Or we were trying to have a kid for so long and God finally gave us one. He was two months old. Right? Older siblings confused, asking why. Moms crushed, 
dads in rage, anger, revenge. In verse 18, Matthew quotes Jeremiah and he says, A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Weeping, devastation, injustice, murder. The first Christmas was not all love, joy, hope, and peace. It was pain, despair, loss, tears. Russell Moore in an article titled Planned Parenthood and Jesus Christ, comparing King Herod to Planned Parenthood, says, Jesus was not born into a cozy, snowy winter wonderland of sweetly singing angels and cute reindeer nuzzling one another at the side of his manger. He was born into a war zone. Jesus was chased out of his manger and into Egypt by one of Planned Parenthood's ancestors, King Herod, who also sacrificed Bethlehem's infant children for the sake of power. This is our Christmas story. But, but, but it's also why King Herod doesn't come included in your nativity sets you get from Costco. King Herod is a villain. He, he's not the hero of Christmas. But like I said earlier, I think we'd be surprised with how much we actually have in common with King Herod. Now, of course, we would never do what he did, but at least Herod understood what the Christ of Christmas demands. Total allegiance. Herod was on the throne, and he was not going to give up his kingdom for anyone. How easy in a culture like ours to just assume Christmas. Like Christmas is not a threat. It's just not. The elf on the shelf might be a little creepy, but not a threat. It's scary, right? I think the reason Christmas isn't a threat often is because we don't understand the claims of Christmas. Christ is born. The king has come. The implications of Christmas, complete allegiance to the king. How are we like Herod? Well, if you guys are anything like me, we love being in control of our own lives. We, we, we add a little Jesus onto our lives. Right? Like, like Jesus is fine. He even saves me from hell but he's along for the ride as I live out my best life. Like Herod, we compartmentalize. We, we check the religious box of Christianity. But where I live, what I do, how I spend my money, the, the clothes I wear, how I raise my kids, post on social media, how I engage in politics, and social justice, entertainment, environment, the environment, my neighbor, and on and on and on. Well, these things are are my choice, right? My life. I can't say it better than Tim Keller here, so I won't. Keller says, and it's a longer quote, but Keller says, King Herod's reaction to Christ is a picture of us all. 
If you want to be king and someone else comes along saying he is the king, then one of you has to give in. Only one person can sit on an absolute throne. It is a claim of absolute authority, a summons to unconditional loyalty, and it inevitably triggers deep resistance within the human heart. This dark episode of King Herod's violent lust for power points to our natural resistance to, even hatred of, the claims of God on our lives. We create gods of our liking to mask our own hostility to the real God who reveals himself as our absolute king. Now again, it's easy to rip on King Herod or Planned Parenthood. But isn't this our fight? In Adam, in our flesh, we're all pro-choice. Namely, we want to run the show. We want to make the decision, sit on the throne and grow our little kingdoms, don't we? Now, I love all the Christmas traditions. Even made my first gingerbread house this year. Christmas movies, unhealthy foods, presents, lights, trees, stockings, Christmas songs. Glorious. But in all the Christmas glory, we are reminded through Herod that Christmas is costly. Christmas reminds us that Christ demands total allegiance, true worship. Herod worshiped himself. He was about his own kingdom. This is our temptation every day. But what does true worship look like? What's a better narrative for living the good life? Let's shift our focus to the wise men or or the magi. We, We read earlier that they came west looking for the king of the Jews. So it makes sense that they show up in Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, in search of this king worth their worship. Now, nobody knows for sure exactly where these guys are from. Some scholars say Persia, which is modern-day Iraq. Others say Babylon, which would make sense as to how they got their Bible knowledge as Israel was exiled there. Maybe Daniel's prophetic voice had an influence long beyond his years. Kenneth Bailey makes a strong case that they're from Arabia because there's lots of gold there, one of the gifts they bring. And in in many early church history, or many early church Fathers say they're from Arabia. Whether they were Iraqis, Arabs, or Babylonians, we don't know for sure. What we do know is they are Gentiles, outsiders to the people of God, coming to worship the king of the Jews. And what does wise men in our text mean? Are they kings? Are they sages? Or guys who just make some wise investments? The Greek magos or or magi suggests either some type of professor or local ruler, possibly both, super philosophical, highly regarded for dream interpretation. We know they traveled hundreds of miles, months and months and months to worship this king. 
We know they probably took more than just Astrology 101 at the local junior college. Right? They were highly respected astrologers. They probably did some things that the Old Testament prohibits. And they at least had some knowledge of the Old Testament. But God, God reaches these unchurched Gentile tarot card readers right where they are at. Aren't you glad God doesn't call us to change ourselves up before we come to him? He takes us just as we are. The ones who seem likely in this story to worship the king of the Jews is, well, the Jews, right? Maybe the king, Herod, for sure, the theologian scribes. Not in our story. Only these outsiders, these Gentiles, start making their way over to Bethlehem to worship. So let's pick up our Christmas story back in verse 9. Verse 9. After listening to the king, Herod, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose before them until it... uh, And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. What a scene, right? What a journey. I've I've only hiked a couple 14ers since I've been in Colorado. Um, And and I've been here for eight years, and I told myself I was going to do at least one a year. So I'm I'm struggling on that. New Year's resolution. But, but, But there's nothing like reaching the summit, right? You make it to the top after hours of hiking, thoughts of quitting, long water breaks and side cramps. But then you summit, and it's all worth it. The sight is stunning, and the accomplishment is even more gratifying than the views. That's a one-day hike. Now imagine this journey of the wise men. All the hours laboring in the Old Testament prophecy. The journey towards the star. The anticipation of this king, the conversations and encounters along the way. But then the star is gone. And after the interaction with the king and his theological minions, they head back out to the dark, quiet neighborhood of Bethlehem. Suddenly the star reappears. The summit is in sight. Their hearts are, are pounding in their chest when they find the home in which the star is resting over. You imagine knocking on that door. And what do they find as they summit their journey? A child. A child. And what do they do? They worship. 
They fall down, bowing before Jesus, the child. But he's more than just a child. He's the king. The word become flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. Of course they worship. This is Christmas. Christmas is is costly. It calls us to fall down, to bow before the real king, the one true king, and surrender our lives to him. This is gospel allegiance. We're not talking about a begrudging cost. The cost of Christmas, that they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, it says. And on their knees, they pull out their gifts. They offer their Lord treasures, gold, frankincense, myrrh. A fourth century Cappadocian father, Gregory the Great, interpreted the gold to symbolize wisdom. The frankincense symbolized prayer to God. The myrrh, an offering of our bodies as a living sacrifice. Ultimately, worship is devotion of mind, soul, and body. And this is worship. We we, we give to God what he already owns, ourselves. We are not our own because of Christmas. Unlike Herod, we give up the reins of our lives. And we surrender our lives to the lordship of Christ, our true king. Now, we can't be dogmatic on interpreting these gifts. More recent scholarship has shown, actually, that all the gifts point to Jesus. The gold, his kingship, the frankincense, his deity, as this was often offered up to God, and, 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 and the myrrh, his humanity. Interesting about the, the myrrh, it was offered to Jesus again, on the cross to relieve his pain. He denied it. And it was used as an embalming fluid during his burial. Was the myrrh a shadow of what was to come? Well, what do you want most out of Christmas? These wise men had quite the journey, making their way to the child Jesus, the king of the Jews. But think about Jesus' journey. He left his throne in heaven, took on the frailty of humanity to dwell amongst us. And then his journey reached the summit, the cross of Calvary to give us the greatest gift of all, himself, life. This is what we need this Christmas more than anything. This story in Matthew's gospel is the tale of two worshipers. And ultimately, we are all worshipers. This Christmas, it's not a question of, of if you will worship, But what you will worship. Let's pray. 
Lord, thank you for Christmas. Thank you that the King has come. Thank you for the journey from your throne in heaven to earth below to redeem a people for yourself. God, we pray that that we would worship. We pray that 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 would be the, the, the application to a passage like this. True, authentic worship. Total allegiance to Christ. We love you and we pray this all in his name. Amen.